0: Shalom, this is Gamiel Shmalo. Yoshua 19 picks up on the previous chapter, continuing the division of the land to its conclusion by apportioning land to the remaining six tribes, Shimon, and Yisachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. From the outset, I'd like to note that the portions allocated were largely aspirational. As we will see in the first chapter of Shoftim, the local Canaanite population Continued to frustrate the efforts of B'nai Israel to establish control over their allotted portions. Already in our chapter, we have a harbinger of this in the story about Don. The formal borders of Don are described as stretching from the southeast, beginning in the western foothills of the Judean mountains and pushing northwest, pushing northwest towards the sea to present day Yafo and Tel Aviv. In practice, Dan held only the eastern area, including Tzara, Eshtaol, and Beit Shemesh, or Ir Shemesh, in the language of our chapter. This is where Shimshon will begin his career in another 18 chapters. But the rest of what we know today as Gushdan, the greater metropolitan Tel Aviv area, continued to be controlled by the MRE all the way up the Ayalon Valley as far as Shalavim. Our chapter in verse 47 states that mehem, which means either that their remaining borders were not large enough for them or that they lost a good portion of their borders. In either case, looking for land that had not been allocated to another tribe, Dan traveled far north to the headwaters of the Jordan River, past the Hula Valley in the large and abundant portion of Naphtali, to Leshem, which in Shovtim 18 will be called Laish, which is a synonym for lion. Like in the wilderness Don and Naphtali would once again be neighbors. Those of us who have visited Tel Dan with its flowing stream the Nahal Hermon coming down from the Golan or the Bashan and remembering that the original name of the northern Don was Laish or Lion have been able to experience a bit of Moshe's blessing to Don in Devarim 33 Don is a lion's cub leaping from the Bashan. From Tel Dan you can look into Lebanon from the northern border of modern and ancient Israel. Ever since our chapter, the full sweep of the land of Israel has been described as Midan Vad Be'er Sheva, from Dan in the north to Be'er Sheva in the south. As we will see when we get to 1st Malachim, chapter 12, being so far away from the center of Jewish life would also come at a cost. The ancient idolatrous altar that you can see in Tel Dan, bears silent witness today to the challenges ancient Don would face. Another surprising fact in our chapter is that Shimon received a portion of land from within the portion of Yehuda. This is surprising in several ways. Firstly, back in Bereshit 49, we read Yaakov's double-edged blessing to Shimon and Levi. These two zealots had wiped out the city of Shem, showing a tendency towards hot-headed, righteous indignation, which flamed up again in the the sale of their brother Yosef. Yaakov felt that they were too explosive and should not be allowed to achieve any critical mass. So he declared, I will divide them in Yaakov and spread them out in Israel. In Levi's case, this came true quite literally. As we will see in another two chapters, Levi was to settle in 48 cities scattered among Israel. There their religious passion would serve them well as educators and religious functionaries. Divided, they were somewhat disarmed. Disarmed, they could be put to productive use, spread out to do good, to illuminate, inspire, and empower. Shimon, it seems, needed to be provided even more supervision. In the wilderness, Levi had redeemed itself at the Golden Calf, putting its zeal to good use, and therefore Levi earned a degree of independence even as they were divided and scattered. Back in Shitim, however, in Bamidbar 25, Shimon had done the opposite. Once again, its indignation was inflamed with disastrous results, culminating in the insurrection of Shimon's prince Zimri bin Salu. Rather than give Shimon an independent tract of land, or even independent cities among Israel, they were scattered as the school teachers of Israel. As educators, their tremendous religious fervor could be productively expended in a profession that required extraordinary dedication, idealism, and self sacrifice. Their sense of tribal identity was confined to two strips of land containing a total of 17 cities, all of which were subsumed in the portion of Yehuda. In time, Yehuda would become the sovereign, practically caring for both the spiritual and the material needs of the people. As sovereign, realistically governing a holy but imperfect people in all aspects of existence, Yehuda could temper the otherworldly, exacting, and demanding Shimon. Yehuda could bring Shimon down to earth and help Shimon's fire produce more light than heat. Echoes of this dynamic will be heard in the second century, in the relationship between another set of Shimon and Yehuda, the otherworldly Shimon Bar Yochai, and the more accommodating Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli, as recorded, for example, in Tractate Shabbat, thirty-three. Lastly, our chapter describes how Yeshua himself cared about his own personal homestead only after all the tribes had been properly allocated their portions. All too often, we witness politicians enriching themselves while in office, sometimes at the expense of the people. Yoshua set a refreshing example for Jewish leaders ever since. He cared about his flock first and last. Even after his work was complete, he did not unilaterally take a portion for himself. Rather, he waited, then requested and then accepted his portion only after receiving appropriate consent. These two verses give us a window into the personality of Joshua, and set an enduring gold standard for all public servants. Some 3000 years later, we can still aspire to the example of Joshua, to lead with selfless integrity and to earn the public trust.